us.
And you may be seated. God is good. Amen. 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 Good morning and welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so glad that you uh, are here. Uh, I noticed some new faces this morning as you were walking in, so I want to extend a special welcome to you. If this is your first time here, or maybe your first time here in a long time, uh, I'm Pastor Aaron, and we're thrilled to have you. And inside the bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information. Uh, we're not passing the offering plate at this time, so there's a, a little house-looking thing out there on a stool as you walk out of the foyer. If you can just place that um, in there, there is also a place. If you need prayer, uh, something specific, whether that's private or maybe other people are aware of it, you can certainly write that down, and we will be in prayer for you uh, this week, and just want to know how we can best love on you and serve you um, in, in difficult times like this. Hopefully, you'll also be paying attention to your bulletin. There's a lot of stuff that's starting to happen again. Praise the Lord for that, right? We're starting to build up a little bit. Um, tonight, one of those things is our NBC's Got Talent at 6 o'clock, so you want to be here at 6 o'clock. Where do you want to be at 6 o'clock? Right here. Right. I'm excited. It's the first time I've got to, to be a part of this, and so hopefully uh, you will be here for that as well. We'll go over the other announcements at the end um, of our service. The verse this morning that we're going to spend a moment just to meditate upon, to think upon, to pray through is in Psalm 51. It's verse 17. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So this morning, before we continue to worship together in song, would you take a moment and just pray through that verse? And would you just pray, O Lord, break my heart this morning for what breaks yours. You take a moment and pray, and then I will pray for us. God, this morning as we gather to worship together, Lord, we, we will sing. We've already done that together. We will, Lord, hear the word of God preached. Lord, we're going to have some special music. Lord, we may give an offering. We'll offer up some prayers. God, maybe we'll respond at the end of the message. Lord, all of those things are wonderful and good. But Lord, we can do all of those things this morning and still miss you. Still not hear from you. Still not please you, Lord, if our hearts are filled with sin or pride. Lord, if we are not broken before you. So Lord, as we study Psalm 51 this morning, Lord, this is, this is a deep and intense psalm. As David is just laying out his sin confessing it, Lord, openly and publicly for, for us to read thousands of years later. Lord, the question for each and every one of us this morning is simply this, where is our sin? Where is it? Lord, is it hidden? Is it concealed this morning where our pastor, our spouse, our best friend, our boss, no one knows, our children don't even know? Or Lord, are we trying to walk with confession just being honest and open with a friend, our spouse, a pastor, someone, got a, a, an accountability partner just to say, look, this is my sin, and I just want to be honest and open about it. I want to repent of it. I want to confess it. Lord Jesus, cleanse us, use us. Oh, God, we pray that everyone here this morning has a relationship with you. That is first and foremost, that we know you, that we know that your blood has made us white as snow. Lord, that, that we are cleansed and oh god we want to be used of you so lord continue spirit of god to move in this place as we worship together in jesus name amen let's stand once again Oh, hey. 
much. You may be seated. Is he worth? 
Is he worthy? Yes, he is. He is worthy. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to two places. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And then you may want to turn to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. Anybody in here like to play hide and seek? I used to love to play hide and seek. And then something happened that forever changed the way I view that game. So I was in, uh, it was either eighth grade or ninth grade, I can't remember, and uh, we were on a youth choir trip. And so what we would do is we would go sing at different churches, and uh, we would go to church, and then uh, we'd have host homes. And so we'd sing at the church, and then that night we would, three or four of us would go stay at somebody's house. So I can't remember what city we were in, but I know that we were staying with, a, with an elderly couple, and there were four of us guys, and uh, you know it was like 10.30 or 11 o'clock, and they already went to bed, and we thought, you know what, let's play a game of hide-and-seek. Why not? They went to sleep. They won't even know, and so we turned all the lights off, and it was my turn to go find the three guys that were hiding. And so we were upstairs, and I walked down the steps, and I'm walking through, and I come to a door, which is the bathroom, and the light's on. And I go to turn the knob, and I'm like, no, look, if they're hiding in there, they wouldn't have the light on. I was like, man, she's probably awake, he's probably awake. And so I go back upstairs, I get in the bed, I'm like, I'm not looking for anybody anymore, they'll eventually come out. Several minutes pass, one of the guys comes out, and we're waiting, and the other two, and I won't name their names, come in, and their faces are bright red. I said, dude, what has just happened? They said, well, we... We're hiding in the shower behind the shower curtain <laughs> when the light switch came on and we heard the toilet seat raised and they said, we just sat there as quiet as we could. I don't think the lady had a clue they were there, but man, it was a great story and I will never play hide and seek for that very reason. Uh, they did their best in that moment to stay hidden because that would have been so embarrassing had she realized. They tried to stay hidden. As we look at Psalm 51, what we see here is David is not trying to hide his sin any longer. He had done a really good job, so he thought, of hiding it. He thought no one knew. But then when you look at Psalm 51 at the heading, it says this, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now I can't assume that everyone in here knows the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, most of you probably do, but some of you maybe do not. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm just going to quickly, quickly recap this story. Uh, encourage you, if you don't know the story, to go home um, and to read it. So 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 tells us that in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out, out to battle, right? David was supposed to be in battle, but he was not. He remained in Jerusalem. He goes up one afternoon, right, to uh, the rooftop. And when he gets up there, he sees this beautiful woman, right, Bathsheba, and she is bathing. And he, as many kings did, thought, hey, I can have whatever I want. I want her. So he inquires who she is. He gets word that she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He should have said, never mind, but he doesn't, right? He calls for her. Uh, they, they have an affair. They commit adultery. Bathsheba gets pregnant. David gets word that she is pregnant. So here's the man of God, the king of God's people, who the scripture says was a man after God's own heart, has just committed adultery, has just found out that this woman is now pregnant, and so he's got to come up with a plan as to how he doesn't get exposed, and maybe Uriah doesn't come home and want to kill him. So he brings Uriah home, hoping, look, Uriah had been out to war. He'll want to come home. He'll want to be with his wife. Now, this is not a story you probably talked to your four- and five-year-olds about So uh, when they were little. This probably wasn't one of your family worship story times. Um, so he gets Uriah to come home. He thinks, all right, Uriah will be with his wife. He'll think she got her pregnant, but Uriah's like, look, I'm not sleeping in my house. My men are out to war, paraphrasing. I can't do it. Plan A fails. Plan B, let's get him drunk. When he's drunk, he won't be able to resist. He'll lose uh, his capacity there. Same thing, though. He says, I'm not going in. I'm supposed to be out at war with my men. So plan B fails. Plan C. What does David do? 
He has the guy killed, right? It tells us there in 2 Samuel 11, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And in the letter he wrote, and what's set out in the letter is this plan to leave him at the front of the battle line so he'll be killed. Now here's the fascinating thing. David knew that Uriah was such a man of integrity that he could give his own death sentence in a letter to Uriah and he would carry it back to battle and would never look. I mean, he's carrying his own death sentence. And sure enough, they do what David said, right? They pull back, Uriah is killed. One author summarizes it this way. It was the perfect plan. Uriah would receive a hero's funeral. David would look sympathetic in marrying the grieving widow. No one would question David's actions. No one pried into his business. He got away with it. It was a phenomenal plan. And he hit it very, very well. Or so he thought. Until you read in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where a man by the name of Nathan comes to David, tells him a little story. Again, you should read that this afternoon. Tells him a little story. David gets angry, right? And then Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're the man. You're the man. You had all of this, and yet it wasn't enough for you. You went after Bathsheba, who was married You then killed her husband, right? It's you. And David, confronted by Nathan, says these words, I have sinned against the Lord. David has been exposed. And in this moment of brokenness, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David writes out of his experience. Here's what's really interesting to me. This is a psalm that the people would sing. It says to the choir master, it is a song of David's sin, of his repentance, and of his confession. And people would sing it. Here we are thousands of years later, and we're reading of David's story. Imagine that you come to me tomorrow morning in my office, and you say, look, pastor, we got to talk, man. I got some sins I need to confess. I was convicted about your sermon on Sunday morning. I got some sins to confess. And you just begin to lay them all out there, right? You begin to confess them. Imagine if I took a pen and paper, said, hey, let's turn this into a song. And I'll send this out to Curtis or Brian this week, man, and we'll just sing about your sin and your confession and your repentance. None of you would do that. You'd be like, nope, I'm out. We're not going to do that. But yet that's precisely what we have here. This is David confessing his sin for everyone to read. He had tried to hide it, tried to conceal it, but now he confesses it. And here's the question I want to ask you this morning. I'm going to ask you multiple times, and we're going somewhere with it. And here's the question. Where is your sin? Where is your sin? As we work through this psalm, notice a couple of things. Notice number one, David confesses his sin. David confesses his sin. Warren Wearsby uh, says, in this moment, David is praying, forgive me. Forgive me. Verse one, have mercy on me, O God. Where does David begin when he prays? He begins with God. He begins with who God is. God, you are merciful. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. David appeals to God's mercy and compassion. What is David saying? Don't treat me as I deserve. I'm going to give you a lot of little nuggets throughout the message today that will help us as we think about confession, repentance, and sin. Here's the first thing. You don't deserve God's mercy and God's forgiveness. No one does. David didn't deserve it. David knew what he had done. So what does he say? God, have mercy on me. God doesn't owe David forgiveness. God doesn't owe you and I forgiveness. So we go to God not because we deserve it, but because we know he's merciful. He's loving. He's gracious. It's an abundant mercy. Verse 2. We begin to see the depths of David's sin. Last part of verse 1. Blot out my transgressions. That's one word he uses for sin, transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. That's the second word he uses for sin, iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. That's the third word. Transgression, iniquity, sin. Verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is, what does it say? Evil. David, acknowledging 
the weight of his sin, the magnitude of his sin, even calling it evil. He has sinned against a holy God who is worthy of our adoration and our obedience, and yet King David has blown it. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David does something here that he hadn't done up to this point related to this sin. He takes responsibility for it. He begins to take responsibility for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. There is no blame shifting. There are no excuses. No, the devil made me do it. No, it was my family's fault. He owns up to his sin. Hear me, if you are genuinely going to confess and repent of your sin, regardless of how old you are, you have to own up to it. You have to confess that it's on you. It's nobody else's. And here's the problem. We are living in a culture, and in young folks, you're really experiencing this more so than ever. It's never my fault. It's everybody else's fault. Son, why didn't you clean your room? And there's all kinds of excuses. It's not, hey, this is on me. I failed. I disobeyed. Right? There's all sorts of excuses from the dog ate my homework to whatever else it may be. Back in 1978, maybe you've heard this before, the media coined the phrase Twinkie defense. Twinkie, like the snack food. I love Twinkies. Didn't they get rid of Twinkies for a while? Wasn't that, what a mistake that was. Thankfully, they brought them back, right? Uh, the Twinkie defense. So the media was covering the trial of a man by the name of Dan White. Dan White was charged with murder for the shooting deaths of a San Francisco mayor and the supervisor. Dan's defense team presented evidence that White suffered from mental illness. Now look, mental illness is a, a serious thing, and so this story isn't to make light of that. It's just to show the media kind of ran with something and, and where it got from. But so he was suffering from mental illness, depression. And so what his defense team said was that he suffered diminished capacity as a result of his depression, a symptom of which was a change in diet from healthy food to Twinkies and other sugary food. So the media just kind of ran with this and said, look, he's using a Twinkie defense. Like the Twinkies made me do it. It's all the junk food that I ate led me to go out and kill these two people. And we use all kinds of excuses, do we not? Last week, we talked about how do we make wise choices, kind of summarizing one thing that really stuck out to me from camp. How do we make wise choices? This morning is more about what do you do when you experience the wreckage of bad, poor decisions? What do you do when you find yourself where David is and you've just made a mess of your life? What do you do then? Well, what you can't do is make excuses for it. Right? You have to turn to God, you appeal to his mercy, you confess your sin, and you cry out, forgive me. Is that easy? To take responsibility for your sins, your mistakes, your transgressions? To take responsibility for your choices? No, it's not easy. But if you want to experience forgiveness, you have to say, I've sinned, I've blown it, I've messed up, I'm sorry, this is on me. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's interesting. Did David sin against Bathsheba? Yeah. I mean, Bathsheba was someone made in the image of God. So was Uriah, and he had Uriah killed. So David certainly harmed them and hurt them and sinned against them. But what does David confess? Ultimately, I have sinned against who? God. He'd sinned against God. There's a really, really important turning point here in David's life. And if, you, if you're honest, they're kind of where David is, that you've got this hidden sin that you've concealed, that your wife doesn't know about, your husband doesn't know about, your kids don't know about, your deacon doesn't know about, your Sunday school teacher doesn't know about, your boss doesn't know about. Right? If you've got this sin that's hidden and concealed, David comes to a turning point when he goes in 2 Samuel 11 from how do I cover my tracks, how do I keep this hidden so nobody finds out about it, to in Psalm 51, he becomes more concerned with how could I treat God like this? How could I sin against a holy God? And when that begins to change in you, 
When you become less concerned about your sin and trying to cover it and more concerned with is what you're doing pleasing to God, when you get there, things will begin to change in your life. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Wait a second. Did David just blame his mama right there? Is that what he just did? His poor mama taking responsibility for his sin? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, the problem is that I'm sinful. The reason I sin, David says, is because I'm sinful. And I've been sinful from birth. I've had this problem of sin, this sin nature, from the beginning of my life, right? You sin because you are sinful. Can I tell you something? You know what you are apart from the grace of God? You are a wretched sinful person you know what i am i am a wretched man the longer i walk with jesus the more i realize just how wretched i truly am that's who we are by nature right this is us in our sin and so what we need to do is come clean this morning and confess our sin to god but that's easier said than done so here's probably what's happening right at this moment some of you maybe are squirming in your seat because there's a sin in your life. You know it's there. You know it's there. And the Spirit has convicted you about it, but you never told anybody about it. Why? Why haven't you come clean? There's a, a pastor and a psychologist by the name of Steve Arterburn. Uh, I think that's how you say his last name. And he lists three reasons why you won't come clean with your sin. Three reasons why you won't tell your spouse, why, why you won't share with somebody you can trust and say, hey, will you pray for me? Will you help me? Three reasons. Number one, you're afraid of losing your reputation. You're afraid that if your wife found out or your pastor found out or your deacon found out, they'd think less of you, that your reputation would be diminished. You're worried about your reputation. You're afraid of losing that favorite sin. Let's be real. The reason some of us don't tell other people about our sin is because we like it. And if we tell somebody else and they know, they may come up to us and say, hey, how you doing with your sin? You still walking with Jesus? Still living in purity? And then we don't want to be confronted by that because we don't want to give up our sin. And the third reason is this. We're afraid it may cost you financially, emotionally, or relationally. You think it didn't cost David? Man, when he began to open up about his sin, it cost him. So let me ask you once again, where is your sin? Where is your sin. David is a broken man. David needed to be forgiven for his sin, cleansed of his guilt, washed of his shame. So he begins to pray, God, forgive me. Notice, secondly, David prays for cleansing. Warren Wearsby says, David now begins to pray, cleanse me. He's confessed, forgive me. Now he prays, cleanse me. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 Verse 22, you're familiar with the story of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22 says, Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. Right That night, the firstborn of every family was going to die. And the only reason the Israelites would be spared is what? If they took some of this blood and sprinkled it over the doorpost. And they would use the hyssop to do that. David is saying, right, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a little herb that the Jews would dip in blood for use in ritual cleansing. David knows he needs to be purged. He needs to be made clean. Continuing there in verse 7, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Derek Kidner writes, David uses a verb normally connected with the laundering of clothes. As if David is comparing himself to a foul garment needing to be washed and washed. Over and over, David is saying, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Now follow me here. Because David is living before the cross of Jesus Christ. David appeals to God's compassion. He says, God, you're a God of steadfast love. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. David didn't know. Well, you and I know. David didn't know what it would cost God to really wash him of his sin. What will it cost God ultimately to answer David's prayer, wash me and I will be whiter than snow? 
It was going to take the cross of Jesus Christ. So whenever you say, wash me, you are acknowledging that it took the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in order for your sins and mine to be forgiven. And this is what God, and the lengths, and the depths, and the heights that God would go to to forgive us. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. We sing the song, What can wash away my sin? Say it with me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can wash me and cleanse me of my sin. Then he says one more thing in verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David goes from hiding his sins from God to asking God to forgive him and blot out his sins. This is a critical moment in David's life. It's not just about, hey, I feel sorry for my sin or sorry I got caught, but there must be a brokenness. There must be repentance. Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. When we sin, what does God desire? He desires repentance. He desires that our sin breaks our heart, not just a sacrifice. He doesn't just want sacrifice. We don't say, well, what God wants is for me to attend church more or to read my Bible more or to sing louder or just to write a larger check and put it in the box when I leave. All of those things are good things, including writing a larger check, right? They're all good things. But those things aren't what ultimately saves us. And it's not what ultimately cleanses us. What we need is to be broken over our sinfulness. God desires real, genuine heart repentance, a brokenness over sin. Look what it says. Some of you need to hear this word this morning. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Hear me. God will not despise the man or the woman who comes to him with a broken heart. If you come to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning confessing your sin, turning from your sin, it doesn't matter how great that sin may be, God will not turn you away. He will forgive you, restore you, heal you. This is what he desires is a broken spirit, a contrite heart, and he will not despise. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. The word blotted means to eliminate, to do away with, to wipe out. Laonida says it means to cause something to cease by obliterating any evidence. Several months ago, somebody in the church was telling me about a rocket book. I never heard of a rocket book. Um, so a rocket book is this notebook right, that you can buy. And you can get these special pens, and you can write in it. And then you take that rocket book, you put it in the microwave, you take a coffee mug, you put water in it, you set the mug on top of the rocket book, you turn the microwave on for like three and a half minutes, let it cool down. When you take the rocket book out, all your writing is gone. It just vanishes. Some of you are like, yeah, I've heard about that years ago. Well, I had not, right? It just, it vanishes. It's blotted out. It's removed. Oh, church, this is what Jesus Christ does for us as sinners. He blots out, he removes our Sinfulness. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me and renew within me right, a right spirit. Give me a clean heart. Sin, hear me, is a heart issue. Until your heart is changed, you will not be changed. Parents, that's our job. Our job is to shepherd the heart. It's the parent, the heart, ultimately, because only Jesus Christ can change the heart. And so we recognize as parents, all of your disobedience of your children, all of that is a heart issue. And it doesn't matter how great we are as parents, if Jesus doesn't change the heart, not much is going to change. We need a new heart, Derek Kidner writes. With the word create, he asked for nothing less than a miracle. Moms and dads. And if your children are living in disobedience, living in rebellion, you need to hit your knees. And you need to pray, God, you change them because I can't. You give them the clean heart, the right spirit. You, God, have to do that in them. 
See, David desires not only to be forgiven, but also to be changed. So let me ask you this question. Where is your sin? Have you confessed it? Have you repented of it? Have you given it to Jesus? Where is your sin? One more thing I want to point out to you, and that is this. David offers a prayer of consecration. When you come to know God's grace, that changes your story. Amen? Some of y'all may be asleep. God's grace changes your story. Amen? It's a, it's a little stuffy in here. I'm a little warm, so we got to wake up here. I'm almost done. Right? So God, uh, David offers up a prayer of consecration. Use me. Look what he says. Again, this is him confessing his sin. Verse 13, that I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips. Look, David is saying, God, forgive me, cleanse me, change me, and when you do, I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to declare that you are a God who rescues and who restores life. I'm going to devote my life to you, right? And I'm going, to, I'm going to lift up your name. Every one of us in this room, man, we have baggage. We have a past. We have sin. And sometimes the dilemma for us is, look, how do I talk about what God has rescued me from without talking about it too much? Like, how, how, how can I be honest about, hey, this is where I was, a drug addict or whatever it may be, and God rescued me from this, and he saved me. So I remember when I went to camp back in high school, uh, went to a camp called Cedarmore in Baghdad, Kentucky, middle of nowhere, Baghdad, Kentucky. And I remember one college student got up one night sharing her testimony. She was on staff there, and she talked, it seemed like forever, 10, 15 minutes, um, and it seemed like most of her testimony, seriously, was just about her sin, about her previous life. And I don't think she meant to do it intentionally, but I was just sitting there thinking, look, I don't need to know all the details. I need to know who Jesus is. And so we struggle with that sometimes. Like, how? How can I be open and honest about my past, but yet not exalt it? Let people know that, man, Jesus is the one who has rescued me from this. And church, this is the wonder of grace. Hear me, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, whether it was yesterday or 10 years ago, if you confess your sin, repent of your sin, God will forgive you of your sin, and my God can still use you. My God can still use you, no matter what you've done. Now look, as you study Psalm 51, you can't ignore or sugarcoat David's sins. He was a murdering adulterer. And he was the king of God's people. You can't ignore that. But you also cannot ignore that this murdering adulterer found God's grace. So let me be clear before I get to my closing question that I've already asked a couple times. Your choices and your sins have consequences. Don't mistake Psalm 51 for, hey, David confessed his sins and everything was hunky-dory. No, because if you know the story... You know that Bathsheba and the child she was carrying dies in the womb. Right? The child dies. David's life maybe is never the same after this moment. So don't think for a moment, well, hey, I can, I'm going to let people know my sin and there'll be no consequences. No, you're going to have to face the consequences for your sin, for your choices, for your actions. But here's the good news. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of sin and the penalty of sin has been defeated. Jesus Christ has paid for that. Through Jesus, God restores us, renews us, redeems us, and uses us for his glory. So let me ask you one final time. Where is your sin? And listen very carefully to what J.C. Ryle writes. He says, man's guilt in the sight of God is enormous. Man's danger of hell after he dies is imminent and tremendous. My guilt in the sight of God is enormous. Don't downplay that. And what I deserve after I die is hell, and it is imminent, and it is tremendous because of my sin. And then he writes this. Either your sins are upon yourself, unpardoned, unforgiving, uncleaned, unwashed away, sinking you daily nearer to hell. Where 
are your sins. If your sins have never been confessed, you've never turned to Jesus, then your sins are on you right now. You better feel the weight of that. I'm not trying to scare you, but you need to know you have sinned against a holy God and you deserve hell. And hell is waiting for you. So where is your sin? If you're holding it, then I have no hope to offer you if you refuse to let go of it. Where is your sin? There's really, really good news, though. Because J.C. Ryle concludes, Your sin is either on you, or else your sins are upon Christ. Taken away, forgiven, pardoned, blotted out, and cleansed away by Christ's precious blood. That's your hope this morning, church. We all sit here as sinners. All of us have blown it. All of us have failed. All of us are striving, hopefully, to be more like Christ and more godly. But what distinguishes us is some of you are sitting here with your sins, having never trusted in Jesus, and all of his wrath will be poured out on you. The rest of us have come to Christ, have given him our sins, and we have heard the words, forgiven, I forgive you. And we have heard the words, I have cleansed you. You have been washed white as snow. And we have heard the words, I can use you. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? If you do, then there is hope for you in your sin. But you must give it to him. And if you are a believer in Christ and you are living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin, then man, give it to the Lord right now and let it go and confess that to him. Would you close your eyes? by your heads. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to give you a moment right there where you are in the silence. We're not going to sing a closing hymn this morning. I just want to give you a moment right there where you are just to, just to confess your sin. A sin maybe you've confessed before, maybe a sin you've never confessed before. Maybe you're a teenager, maybe uh, you're finishing out the last few days of your life here on earth and you've never given your life to Jesus. Would you right now just cry out, God, I am a wretch sinner. And for the first time in my life, Lord, not only do I realize it, but I'm willing to confess it. So God, I turn to you right now and I confess my sin to you. And I believe my only hope for eternal life is Jesus Christ. So Jesus, save me. Cleanse me. And then use me so that I may spend out my remaining days praising your name and living for you. There is hope in Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Take just a moment. Be real with the Lord. And just confess your sin and then I'll close us in prayer. Oh, merciful, gracious God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on your people. Have mercy on your church. Have mercy, oh God, on the man or woman who is here, who is living in rebellion against you, oh God, who has not been concerned about what pleases the Lord, what does he want for my life? And how can I exalt him? But they have been living for self. They have been looking for fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in all their own places. And it has led God just to a mess in their life. And they are hurting and they are broken. The pieces have fallen apart all around them. And now they're left to figure out, okay, how do I put this back together? Oh God, this morning they've heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that only you can do that, Jesus. Only you can create in them a clean heart. Only you can give them a right spirit. Only you, through your death, burial, and resurrection, can wash them as white as snow. Only through the shedding of blood, God, may there be forgiveness and remission of sins. So Lord, the question for them now, now that they've heard the gospel, is, is what do I do with my sin? What do I do with my sin? 
So Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here who has never given their life to you, that God, when the service is over and I'm standing out in the foyer, Lord, that they'll just come up to me and say, hey, can we talk? Man, I just gave my life to Jesus. I just became a Christian. Or I want to know more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Or, or maybe they'll seek out Pastor BJ and just say, hey, look, I've been living in sin and, and I want to confess and I want to repent of it. God, you want us to be clean vessels. You want us to be men and women that you use for your glory. And so, Lord, you've you got to clean us. You've got to break us. You've got to mold us, Lord, into the vessel you want us to be. Psalm 51 is not easy. It's hard. But, oh, God, it, there's so much grace and mercy here that we saw in David's life, and it's available for us if we would just turn and believe. So, Spirit of God, speak. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me quickly give you some announcements. And then as we have done the last couple weeks, we'll have our deacon of the week come pray in just a moment. And when he's done praying, if you'll just make your way very, very quickly, calmly outside to carry on your conversations rather than, uh, than in here. Don't forget about NBC's Got Talent. Uh, soccer evaluations. Maybe we had a great turnout. A lot of people signed up towards, towards the last uh, moment there. And so we got another evaluation this coming Saturday. It's from 9 to 11, uh, not 9 to 12. We moved that to 9 to 11 because we had a lot of people come uh, yesterday. So if you signed up for soccer and you haven't been evaluated yet, you want to do that. Uh, ministry teams, make sure you read that. If you're a ministry team leader, you should have got an email. Miss Kim sent that out from me um, about w whether you will continue to serve in that capacity uh, next year. Um, Awana, uh, is going to resume August 23rd. Uh, BJ and Alexa and I met for about an hour and a half the other day just trying to think through, you know, what can Awana look like? What, what are we going to do? And so we are going to resume that. But there's a very important uh, leader meeting next Sunday at 6 o'clock. You want to be here for that because we are changing a few things. Nothing that's going to alter it a lot, but just a few safety precautions uh, that we want to do. So if you help in Awana, you need to be here next Sunday night at 6 p.m. If you are interested in volunteering for Awana, see Alexa. She is out there uh, in the foyer, and so you can talk to her. Uh, deacon election, if you have not voted yet for our deacons, you have uh, right after the service today from 1130 to 1230, or you can vote tonight from 4 to 5. Um, those of you watching online who have not been here, we'd love to have you come uh, you can come from 4 to 5. All you got to do is pull up. Our deacons will be there. You don't even have to get out of the vehicle, uh, but we want you to be a part of that. Uh, one last thing I want to mention to you. Uh, Donna Black's sister, Rebecca, came a couple months ago and spoke about her mission trip. There are some cards out there in the foyer. Uh, you can take and just put this on the fridge just to remind you uh, that she's serving in Central Asia and what her name is and just to pray for her on a daily basis. She is currently in Richmond, Virginia, uh, doing training. Uh, being prepared to go overseas when she's going um, at this point is still to be determined. It, it all depends on when that country will open up their borders and allow people to come in. Uh, but she is being uh, trained right now, and so just continue to pray for Rebecca and support her. All right, my deacon of the week is Mr. Kerry Beard. Yes, Mr. Curtis. Kerry, you come on. Curtis has an announcement. So don't show up at 6 o'clock and say, hey, here's my CD. If you do, you get whatever happens right when it's your time to sing. So come a little early, and you can't blame the sound people. you got to take responsibility for yourself. So get here a few minutes early. Uh, be here at 6 o'clock. Man, I'm so excited uh, to be able to do that tonight. All right, Carrie, if you'll stand, Carrie's going to close us out with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we gather here, hear your word. Also, Lord, I ask that you be with each and every one of us, that today is not the only day that we think of you, but every morning when we wake up, we thank you for giving us that day. And every night when we go to sleep, we thank you. And we always need to live in your will 
and be following your direction for our lives. We just ask that you give us all that courage and wisdom and strength to stand firm in our beliefs and be obedient to you. We just ask that as you go, we go our ways, that you be, be with each family, direct us in the way that you would have us to go, give us the strength we need, and give us the courage to speak up. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.